1: help yourself and others process past traumas without having to re-engage with the memories attached? Are you weighed down by your emotional baggage and ready to check it for good? Do you feel drawn toward a career in wellness where you can heal yourself and facilitate the healing of others? The Somatic Activated Healing Method, aka the SA method, is a revolutionary wellness practice, combining the healing modalities of somatic movement, rhythmic breathwork, positive affirmations, and dynamic meditation, as developed by Sa Simone. This transformative experience has the power to help resolve past trauma, process present pain, and fortify resilience for the future. Students have called the method better than three years of therapy and report a 93% transformation rate after practicing somatic activated healing. This is life-changing work. Want to get involved? We are currently accepting students for our next round of SAW Method teacher training, which kicks off in January, 2023. Join our certification program and get on the cutting edge of modern wellness. As a Spiritually Sassy Show listener, we're offering an exclusive 10% discount on your registration. Visit sawmethod.com and enter the code PODCAST to join today. That's sawmethod.com and enter the code PODCAST for 10% off and join today.
0: What's up, my loves, and welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show. Today's guest was exactly the medicine that I needed. (laughs) You know, part of the reason why I do the show is because I want to continue to further my personal liberation, my education, and of course, I love bringing that to all of you who are listening to the Spiritually Sassy approach to freedom, to liberation, to the spiritual path. So today was the medicine that I needed, um, and I hope she will be the medicine that you need too. I hope this conversation is going to be beneficial for your liberation as much as it was uh, beneficial for my liberation. Today's guest is Deborah Eden Toll, T-U-L-L. I don't know how to pronounce that last name, so Deborah Eden Toll. Um, She is the founder of Mindful Living Revolution. She's a Zen meditation and engaged dharma teacher, author, spiritual activist, and sustainability educator. She emphasizes the connection between personal awakening and collective transformation. Eden spent 7 years training as a Buddhist nun at a silent Zen monastery. We talk about we talk all about this, honey. It is wild how radical she is and what she did. Her teaching style is grounded in mindful, inquiry, fierce compassion, and the essential wisdom of nature, drawing upon diverse wisdom streams to make timeless teachings relevant to today's world. She also is the author of a new book that is incredible. We talk all about it. I mean, it really is just like a... Uh, juicy, epic, wild, so informative, and so educational, the conversation. Her new book is called Luminous Darkness, an Engaged Buddhist Approach to Embracing the Unknown. Get into this episode, and don't forget, if you love the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, your family, your community. Let's support the mission of The Spiritually Sassy Show as much as you possibly can, Thank you so much, and I love you. Hello, my darling, and welcome to the Spiritually Sassy Show. How are you doing?
2: I'm really happy to be here with you, Sa. Curious where our conversation will go.
0: I know, me too. You have lots of very, very delicious things that I cannot wait to hear your perspective on. Um, One of them is... When you speak about the darkness, and I think we're so afraid of the dark and our own darkness, the darkness, period. So I can't wait to, you know, hear you talk about that. But before we go anywhere, first question I ask every guest is, who are you right now?
2: So you bring us right to the edge of the cliff at the very beginning (laughs) of our conversation. And uh, right now, hmm. I am multi-dimensionality, I am space and vastness, I am the full spectrum of dark to light and every expression in between, I am uh, an emergent living process, I am vibrantly alive. I'll just say that in the Sangha that I guide, we do a partner meditation where we explore similarly. Who are you right now and what is moving through you? So I might also add what's moving through me right now is uh, delicious raindrops that I hear outside and really happy muscles from a swim this morning, nettles, tea, uh, excitement, and also tenderness to be here. Thanks for that question.
0: Yes, that's such a beautiful answer. Oh my goodness, thank you. You went all in. Thank you so much. i I appreciate the the inner landscape uh, uh, um description. I think oftentimes, you know, we are we describe ourselves from the outside in, but you went right in. Uh, such a such a good Buddhist of you. <laughs> okay, so talk to me about the seven years you spent training as a Buddhist nun at a silent Zen monastery.
2: Sure. So I was 26 and I made the radical choice. I've made a lot of radical choices in my life to move to a silent Zen monastery. This monastery was in the wilderness, really. So we were off the grid. I had already lived for a number of years in intentional community and off the grid, but I was Um, really on fire at that time about going deeper in my practice. Uh, My heart was broken about the state Mm -hmm. of the world. I was carrying a Mm -hmm. lot of personal grief and just sort of a lack of peace with the different aspects of my being, of my Mm -hmm. inner world. I hadn't yet Mm -hmm. befriended both the light and dark within. And Mm -hmm. so it did feel like uh, it took some courage (laughs) to shave my head and give away my belongings and go to train and I didn't know how long I would be there for but I really felt the call of the silence in a world of so much noise and at a moment Mm -hmm. in life when my I had some inner noise to Uh navigate and so I made that choice and it just ended up being that it wasn't until seven and a half years later that I exited and actually was surprised by the exit as much as I was surprised and led by a calling at the entering of it
0: yeah yeah wow okay so like wow oh my god you know I'm about to go into a 30 day silent retreat I've done another 30 days in 2014 I've done multiple 10 days three days five days um but to do seven years like how much of the actual time was it a complete you know, observing of full silence.
2: Thank you. So yes, uh, we lived in a context of full silence. And what that means is we meditated and did working meditation in silence. We ate our meals in silence. We existed in silence. We actually didn't socialize ever in that place. But um, there were times when we brought our voices in and those were About three times a week we'd come together for a community circle and so we would share and learn from. Perhaps the guide would give a Dharma talk but share about our experience and our challenges and also as one Uh, stayed there longer and carried more and more responsibilities. There were times when we'd be in meetings together. So I'll say it's phenomenal, it's mind-blowing what humans can co-create together in complete silence um, just through sort of a dance of synchronicity and deeper listening and communication through notes. (laughs) But when we were, for instance, uh, working on a project we created, down in Africa or navigating a really complex construction project of a new meditation hall, we would bring our voices in. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow. It was
2: pretty silent. Yeah.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Okay, so two things come up to me. Like, what was, like, you know, the, the greatest moment of joy that you can remember in those seven years? And what was the – I'm already prepping your mind for this one, too – and what was, like, the most challenging, if there's two stories that you can invite us into those seven years? Because, you know, I have one of my teachers um, who has done six years in solitary retreat in the desert. And, you know, in the, there's teachers who I don't have, like, such close proximity with, who have done, like, long periods of silence. My sister just did three months of the Vajrasafa retreat in Nepal. Um, So I have people in my life who've done silence and and long and short periods, and I've done a fair amount myself. And I'm always curious to hear, like, what was the pinnacle of the greatest moment of bliss? You know, did the black Madonna knock at your bathroom door? Did the Buddha show up under your bed? You know, what happened? Did you (laughs) enter that complete state of nirvana? And like, you know, walk me through, tell me a story about it.
2: Sure, yeah. So first I would say um I'm gonna start with um some of the challenging edges of it. There's a chapter in my new book, Luminous Darkness, called Befriending the Night, The Radiant mm-hmm. Teachings of Darkness. And I get what <laughs> <laughs> For me, uh, when I entered, I was certainly carrying trauma. I was carrying fear as well as a tendril of courage to dive more deeply into um, full presence. I was bringing a lot of baggage with me. And so simultaneously to the experience of entering the silence and entering a field where, because we were a solar-powered energy, when the sun went down, we were really in pure darkness Like so many of our ancestors, we didn't exist in a field of brightly lit nights. So the nighttime became a real metaphor for, okay, silent, all alone in a hermitage in the woods, a 15-minute walk from anyone else, meeting the external wilderness, if you will. The strange sounds, the bizarre creatures, the mystery that the night carries. For each and every one of us, the night is a potent and medicinal teacher. And equally meeting the internal night, yeah? My own fears, the edges of my ego, my own. the places I was holding on and not wanting to let go, though that was the invitation. And so wow. there was something really beautiful about simultaneously learning to open my heart to, to soften towards the physical night, to learn to meet the unknown with complete curiosity and respect, with zero mm. stories or assumptions. And equally, spending each day and night of my practice, meeting the internal unknown, meeting Mm -hmm. shadows, meaning that which I had pushed away or judged as too difficult, right? With this open curiosity, with um, complete beginner's mind, which in Zen points to the value of dropping, trying to be the expert or trying to attain realization and instead meeting each moment with the childlike wonder of Mm -hmm. emptiness, of openness. Mm -hmm. And that points really to your next question. Um, There is uh, no way in this moment that I could come uh, choose one pinnacle moment. But what I would say is there's a way in which my seeking of the pinnacle dissolved and that that was the freedom itself, that Mm. learning to rest, to come home to, to really come home to this quality of belonging to the earth, belonging to spacious presence or we consciousness instead of Mm. being caught in me and my little bubble, surrendering to being, which is like surrendering to shared presence, that experience offers, um, you know, the metaphor all you saw is a continual orgasmic experience of life instead of the pinnacle of the climax. You with Mm -hmm. me so far? It's a way that it just offers this recognition that um, awareness is already awake and that we don't have to do anything to awaken, but stop doing in order to remember the already awakened state yeah Mm -hmm. so getting Mm -hmm. to live in so much more spaciousness and so much more compassion uh, in a more steadfast way even Mm -hmm. alongside one's challenges and the natural Mm -hmm. expansion and contraction of life that's part Mm -hmm. of what brought me deep joy there Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah i mean the way i'm sort of interpreting this it's like Being able to walk into our inner world and see our our guilt, our shame, our regret, and not have this dualistic, binary, polarizing view that our mistakes are who we are, and therefore we are bad people, therefore we should unalive ourselves, and kind of the darkness is... Uh, a a a shadowy a, a shadowy uh, aspect of us that the demons live at, and if, and if it's a demon, that means it's bad, and we should not go towards it or connect with it or connect, be with it, connect with it, learn from it, and allow it to to sort of move up and out. But instead, we kind of create these little. Uh, you know prisons within ourselves that we're we are doing everything we can to distract, avoid, numb um, away from looking at the regrets, the guilt, the shame. Um, you know everything that's like heavy and burdening to our to our inner world. How would you describe for someone who is kind of hearing this for the first time? Like, what is our our what is the darkness? And because in, in the sort of world of spiritual. Uh, social media people talk about shadow work shadow work a lot and sometimes you may have the opportunity of asking them you know what about shadow work and and the answers are kind of like nor here nor there and I'm such (laughs) a practical thing I'm such a you know my whole job uh, as an educator as an artist has been so much about like diving in and making it so digestible so so please educate us and like from your interpretation, from your lived experience, talk to us about this luminous darkness. Like, what is that? How can these two words even exist together, you know? Sure,
2: yeah, and first I want to say just thank you for what you shared as an educator, an artist, and also a good teacher. The job is to simplify, right? To translate and make clear what can sometimes sound esoteric. Um, And so, and shadow, I think of, simply as those aspects of our being, of our humanness and our shared humanity that we push away, that are not in alignment with how we want to be seen or how we've perceived ourselves, but that are with us. So we're like, oh, I want to get rid of that shadow. Or Mm -hmm. if only I could push away the dark and get to the light, then I'll have some kind of uh, spiritual... Uh, embodiment. And in my experience, it's not like that at all. Each and every one of us contains the full spectrum of light and dark. If we look to nature and consciousness, and first actually, let's look to the popular definition, the dominant paradigm folds of darkness. And that is, even if you look in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, darkness is the absence of light. That's how Mm -hmm. it's described. And in my book, I suggest that darkness is not the absence of light. It's the presence of something. Darkness in nature and consciousness represents the restorative, the yin, the receptive, the invisible, the unseen. It represents everything that is unknown to us, the mystery itself, Mm -hmm. the mystery from which... All of us came and to which all of us will return. Think of the reality that all of light arises from darkness. So insight, creativity, possibility, vision, all arises from darkness. And in my book, I share that there are wisdom traditions throughout history across the globe that have revered darkness as a great spiritual teacher. And that points to the physical darkness of the night, that points to the unknown and uncomfortable transitions that we face that end up being rites of passage. Uh, That points to the uh, experiences we have which go far beyond the rational mind and anything we can label or try to understand but exist Mm -hmm. more in the invisible realm. There's so many ways we can talk about darkness. But I find it interesting that, again, in the world today, in the dominant paradigm, we tend to think of it very binary, as you've already Mm -hmm. pointed to. Mm -hmm. Light is good, Uh, positive, everything we're comfortable with we'll put in this category of light (laughs) and -hmm. also Mm -hmm. approach our spiritual practice as a trying to get to the light. And darkness, want to get away from that. That must Mm -hmm. uh, be bad. And then we perceive and project onto others or ourselves instead of an embrace of wholeness, the embrace of all of it as welcome, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. all of it. As part of who we are, um, we develop a fracture or split, and we perpetuate this, where we're trying to Mm -hmm. hold on to just one half of the human experience. Does that resonate at all with some of your
0: Yeah. Yeah. It does, and and also it's very yes, and also I feel like I have kind of personally uh, loved the the sort of dictionary description that darkness is the absence of light, and I felt like often you know the in the work that I'm doing in the path that I am kind of em- embarked on, it's become very much around you know like. Dropping the stories and going into the body and being with the shadow feelings, the uncomfortable, the unpleasant, the challenging. Feelings in the body, not associating a story with them, but being with them until the goddess of impermanence can work her deranged, dark magic and it it will move it up and out and it will pass. And in every time I'm actually able to be with the feeling in my body, not wanting to fix, resolve, change, but just being with it with presence and open mindedness or the beginner's mind, as you shared earlier. It's in that being with it that the goddess of impermanence can then work her magic, and and it changes. Does it change for a more pleasant sensation? Sometimes does it change to a more neutral or more unpleasant? Sometimes, but there is a change, and every time an unpleasant, you know, challenging feeling in my body changes, I have equated that as the darkness becoming conscious, as the darkness becoming light. So I've been kind of working with the dictionary um, uh, meaning, but I like what you're offering, that it's much more than just the meeting the uncomfortable, meeting the unknown. It, it, it really encompasses so much more, right?
2: Yes. And a couple things I'd like to say. I love the words that you used in talking about shadow and coming down into our bodies to work with it, I think of practice as and the path as the dynamic interplay, the sacred partnership of dark and light, so that when we are willing to compassionately turn towards what we've labeled dark, those messy, sticky places within, those tender, sore spots, Our inner light is revealed and affirmed to us. The already and always existing inner light is strengthened, not by pushing that stuff away or turning away from it, but turning towards. It's when we spend time resting in the darkness from which revelation arises that we remember it's not just about getting to the revelation, but that that darkness itself is medicinal, is Mm -hmm. a healing field. So... Young said something to the extent, though I might botch it now, that the point of practice is not imagining uh, enlightened figures of light. You know this
0: statement. I, I, I talk about this all the time. People are yes. tired of hearing me talk about this on the podcast. I'm like, stop visualizing being as of light, you know? Yeah. Well,
2: now I'll talk about it and we'll make
0: people think <laughs> yes, it
2: together. Um, yes, But about, in a sense, uh, making the darkness visible, making the unconscious Bringing it into consciousness. This is where the the healing occurs, and for me, there have been so many uh, shadows in my life and my experience that at one point I judged and tried to push away. That it was in turning towards and fully welcoming that I recognized these shadows as sacred messengers, each and every one of them had a powerful message for me, a healing, a something Mm. I had not yet opened my heart to. And that is a teaching of recognizing that we have not known the full strength of our heart. In my experience, the heart welcomes everything, nothing left out. But if Mm -hmm. we continue to practice pushing away the dark, we don't know this. And yes, sometimes as you described, it happens through an alchemy, right? We dance with the dark shadows in such a embodied way that an energetic alchemy occurs and we see what the uh disguised beauty mm-hmm. of this aspect of our being is. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love this. Thank you. You have such a gentle, sweet, poetic way of approaching this that I'm like, yes, keep talking. I love listening. (laughs) Listen, I want to know, like, practically speaking, for the person who is listening, who's working multiple jobs, who is a single mom, who doesn't have the time to do the, you know, like, to, to really bring in the spiritual path, to, like, the forefront of their life, and and, and we're asking them to kind of be a tantric practitioner, right, uh, to bring, make everything the practice. We're not talking about new age tantra here, honey, we're talking about the high, high, <laughs> original tantra, where everything is the practice, where sexuality isn't necessarily the, the meaning of tantra at all. Um, so how, what do we tell that person that we're asking them to turn everything into the practice? Like, how do they work? How can someone work with their shadow um, at any given moment as they're, you know, cooking, walking, in the bathroom, showering, or they're getting in an argument with their partner or their boss? Yeah. Like, what does it look like? In, in, and I know you speak about this in the book. But give give us a little bit of what that is like.
2: Sure. So let's get really simple first, just acknowledging that uh, we can bring practice into every aspect of our lives and allow our ordinary life as it is, not needing to travel afar to a monastery or cave to be our awakening. And uh, this begins by allowing life to become our daily laboratory for waking up, uh, inquiring into everything that we experience. Meditation happens on two levels. One is, sure, formal sitting meditation, or perhaps your practice is uh, meditative movement or dance or another kind of discipline. But it happens both in the formal and in the informal. The informal aspect of meditation is every aspect of ordinary life. Using it as an inquiry to notice very simply what is happening right now and how am I relating to it? What is happening Mm. right now and how am I relating it? And in that way, we begin to let life be a mirror that reveals to us, that shows us inner workings that we have been unconscious of. Oh, there's an I very habitually who seems to think out of survival strategy. She needs to try to control life all the time. Wow. Look at the impact of this and how it feels in my body and what it keeps me from. And I don't go into this as an analysis. I go into this as a compassionate inquiry, because as we see more and more clearly what's operating us that we were unconscious to, and we're seeing it also as a reflection of collective conditioning, then there's a compassion, a compassion, like a compassionate mentor at our side who feels for us, (laughs) who's there to uh, begin to remind us this isn't true for you, and you can set this down. I want to say a couple more things about this. When people please, feel, please, please
0: keep going. I'm like, yes, honey, <laughs> thanks for speaking to all of this.
2: When people feel overwhelmed at the notion of practice as something that's going to be more to do in my life, and I'm busy, I don't have time, I'm overwhelmed, or whatever the this, this story is, I like to remind people that awakening is not a doing. Again, I'm going to use the phrase, remembering the already awakened state and the... Um, Surprise, what is so counterintuitive in a society that tends to be focused on productivity, getting somewhere, the imprint of capitalism and individualism, and self-improvement. What surprises people when they go a little deeper in practice is, oh my gosh, it's the more that I pause, the more that I stop and give myself permission or risk just resting in being, that I remember the already awakened state, even here with my unfinished traumas, which get to be healed in the process as well, even here with dark alongside light. Uh, there's a beautiful quote in the Kashmir Shaivis tradition. There is no darkness within, only light unseen. And so part of what we wake up from is this bizarre story, Right that's constantly perceiving through binary perception, this is dark, this is light, this is positive, this is negative, this is higher, this is lower. We start softening that and instead perceiving from a deeper center of intelligence that comes from doing less, folks, rather than doing more. It comes Mm -hmm. from just being. It's part of why you're about to go into a silent retreat, to spend even more time, Mm -hmm. I imagine, in that empty uh-huh. And uh-huh. one more thing to point out just as I remind people that darkness ultimately is not the absence of light, it's luminous in its own existence. Uh, emptiness is not the absence of something. When we are invited to go deep in meditation, we're invited to empty, to begin to empty. And there can be so much human fear around this, so much fear. Uh-huh. And it's often unconscious fear. And yet we're being asked to learn to welcome the fertile emptiness and the luminous darkness. How juicy and rich are both of those fields. You with me?
0: I'm with you. Oh, my God. I'm like, so much to unpack. Listen, talk to us about this emptiness. Um, from the Buddhist perspective, I think a lot of people are very afraid of that. And in my, you know, very uh, humble and 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 small, um, you know, path of 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 Buddhist um, understanding and practice, you know, I often say that. To people that the more you practice working with your karma, the more these absolute truths will make themselves known to you. As we know, so, you know, spontaneous arising of inspiration, of gnosis, of, of a new baseline of operation. So I always say to people like... Once you have, you know, trained enough and, and, and feeling safe in your body and not letting your emotions guide the way you think and speak and act, and you're not making the same mistakes that you have. You're making new mistakes. As long as you're making new mistakes, you're progressing. But you're not making the same old mistakes. And when you do make new mistakes, you're able to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Or you're not holding yourself in a contracted, rigid state. You're opening up to a wider view. And you're kind of like, it's not that you've mastered this, but you're kind of aware that every single thing you say and do has a consequence, right? And once we're we're kind of in this sense of mastery of working with this natural law of karma, then, you know, the, the absolute nature of, of emptiness makes itself known to us without the need to sort of like intellectualize or, or, or seek too much. It just kind of like becomes this, this cosmic download that comes, you know, through you. And then you all of a sudden you have this like um, open view of life. But I would love to, since I have you, you know eden with me today i want to just like dive in and please let's go there for a bit i think people have a lot of a lot of difficulty in in understanding this like not self or or no self or emptiness like can you give us some practical understanding of what that is so people are not feeling like nihilistic about the buddhist yes, path no happy
2: to and i want to just say i so love that you sing woven into what you speak, and I think um, if I weren't on a in front of a screen right now, I would just want to dance as I speak because it always feels so much more natural to me that we want to sing and dance, and not always just use our uh, words as language. You with me? Mm. So yes. here's what's arising for me: is first, mm. let's all acknowledge that we're in a really funky spot because. At this point in history, humanity has lost most of its legacy of spiritual language and much of what it's been replaced with in today's world is marketplace language. So when we're talking about these things like emptiness and no self, and there's just a whole challenge sometimes because the language hardly or barely points to what it originally meant or what it actually means. Is this making sense so far?
0: Yes, please keep going. Second of
2: all, we're at a point in time where there are many collective unconscious biases that we're not aware of. One is, and this is something I talk a lot about in the book, an obsession with the rational mind and with cognitive understanding as God. I point to um, the rational mind as part of our obsession with light, actually. Knowledge and rational mind and being able to label life and philosophize and understand our way to enlightenment instead of going down into our bodies, down into the darker undercurrents of our experience and receiving um, Mm-hmm. What I call endarkenment. <laughs> so I'd like to add those endarkament.
0: two. Endarkament. I saw that word. It was like, wow, that's so beautiful. Endarkament. Yes. Keep going. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Mm.
2: And next, I want to share that part of that obsession with um, labeling and knowing life through the mind instead of through body-mind integration. I think comes from the Cartesian era the Age of Enlightenment in Europe, which was completely obsessed with rationalization as God. And it was a time when a lot of people were burned at the stake, millions of people, just to be clear, for instead recognizing the body and our earth connection as pathway to the divine, recognizing other forms of knowing and relational forms of knowing. So before I say more, I just wanted to make those points that In today's world, even if we think we're, yeah, I'm embodied, and yeah, I'm connected with the earth, this is an age where there's still a severe disconnect and a tendency to try to know through the mind instead of knowing through other deeper ways. Emptiness can sound really scary. I think when I first came to Buddhist practice, I was like, gosh, no self? Well, that, that must mean I'm supposed to Get rid of my, myself and just become this egoless, uh, expressionless, <laughs> um, poker face being who wants nothing and whatever. Some strange idea of, of emptiness. And, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> or the notion like, oh, it must mean I'm supposed to meditate to, in, to empty myself of thoughts, which, again, is actually a way of filling, not emptying the notion that I'm supposed to do something with a goal, like emptying myself of thoughts. And it can feel very scary. Emptiness, the void, that sounds terrifying. Um, And it sounds empty of life. Is that part of how you felt it at some point? Yep,
0: keep going. And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. yes."
2: And um, I think it's beautiful that at first we might have to face a little bit of that fear. And I think anyone on the path In addition to having good teachers, all the magic that happens is in the alchemy between the teacher or mentor and student or mentee. So if you're on the path, you need to take agency for your practice. You need to take agency and ask questions. When you're noticing interpretations that feel unkind or that feel scary, you need to ask for larger perspective. Emptiness is... Only the absence of a subject-object relationship to life. Nothing in the entire world could be more freeing and more life-affirming than releasing a subject-object relationship to life. And for people who aren't even aware of what that means, just to consider this separate self as this part of us, the ego, that stands outside of life, separate, looking in, labeling, assessing, and judging everything. I want to ask for a show of hands metaphorically in the audience, for those of you who are aware of (laughs) that part of the psyche. And this creates a fracture between the being and life. It creates a sense of separation between um, us and whoever we're with, us and the natural world, a fracture within ourselves. So it's really hard to find language to point to that, but emptiness is essentially uh, freedom from this subject-object relationship to life, and instead we get to relax into this spaciousness or shared presence which fully includes us but is not centered on us, which is a being completely part of the living matrix of all of life which is not about the meanings the mind positions onto life but a capacity to simply be with life as it is from my perspective that's love that's meeting each moment with love is no longer perceiving the sense of separation that's false all of practice and so many paths point to this are about healing the myth or trance of separation. Yeah? Mm. And just Mm. one last thing for listeners who are... keep going, honey. (laughs) For listeners who are feeling intimidated by that notion, please don't think of practice as attaining an end or a goal. Enlightenment is neither an end nor a goal. Give yourself to the living process of it, the unfolding. And there can be moments when... We are fully awake and also aware of some contraction of ego. We're not trying to get rid of. So I'll I'll pause there. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I love this. And so in, you know, to sort of add something to it as like the make it like colloquial, it's, it's shifting from a selfish approach to life to a selfless approach to life. It's like less of... My needs matter than my needs are more important than your needs and resting at this common humanity in in the words of Pema Chodron to say, just like me, you want to be happy and you suffer. And and just like me, you're 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 trying, you know, to 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 transform yourself and do your best. So it's really going from this independent self to this interdependent self. Uh, as you said, shared presence, this um, this we consciousness, which I love um, that you're speaking to. And um, so yes. in short, I mean, I think one way for people to practice this is what I say often is the moments when you are being of service to others—it's such a quick gateway. And I, you know, as educators in the space, we should never say quick way to or quick gateway to. But I'm, 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 you know, paradox, for, like contradicting myself in this in this moment to just say. When we have lost the plot of this weak consciousness, when we have lost the plot to this interdependence, when we've lost the plot and we're living as this subject-object constant rigid and contracted and partial and polarizing view of ourselves in the world... A quick way to glimpse at that is being of service. And I'm not saying donating money. I'm actually saying, like, go uh, let your nervous system dance with the nervous system of another. Let your eyes, you know, land and glance at and engage with the eyes of another. You know, let you hold someone's hand. Let you touch someone's head. Let you feed the other. Let, Let you, like... And that, for me, has always been the gateway. When I feel like I've lost the plot of the path and I have no context for for these um, more absolute states of experiencing uh, the true nature of reality, I throw myself in that space and it's an immediate where I spend hours not narrating, not criticizing, not manipulating, not like there's literally the chatter falls away. I don't know where I end and where they begin. It's literally <laughs> this perfect thing, right? I'm like, "Oh my god, this is literally." And again, it goes against everything, but to say this is the greatest spiritual high and it's it's drug-free. And it has no hangover it only has positive benevolent holy life-affirming consequences the more time you spend in that place right what would you agree
2: absolutely and sometimes it's as simple as asking the question does this choice in this moment recognizing that we have a choice in every single moment does this lead towards suffering or does this lead towards compassion And the motion, the action that comes from that can be something so simple, as simple as shifting and softening our body into a more accepting and loving position or going and offering someone in need food. It can take many forms. But I will add this, sometimes because of duality, even when we're talking about service and no self, we still create a divide, like, okay, so it's about letting go or diminishing this human Mm -hmm. in order to serve others. And I invite people to just drop the notion of self versus other and to widen your circle of service to include you too. So the question becomes, where is service most needed right now? Where Mm -hmm. is love most needed right now? Sometimes there's a part of you having a really shitty moment and being compassionate towards that one is the first and foremost the essential thing. Also when we use language like no self there's so much other language we could use such as essence, such as large self, right? Um, Language that reminds us that the more we allow the sense of small self to get out of the way, okay, the more celebratory and whole and vibrantly alive this being's embodiment yes. becomes. But it's a sense of not even that I'm on the path for myself, but for all beings. And also that I'm supported by all beings. We feel our ancestors behind us cheering at us on because, you know, saw it takes so much courage, it takes so much badass energy, to face our shadows, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a sense of not doing it alone and doing it supported by the collective and on behalf of the collective. I just wanted mm. to add that.
0: I love that. Oh my God, supportive and supported by the collective and on behalf of the collective. Wow, that is so profound to always remember. Oh, that's so good to hear. Thank you for that. Let's talk about spiritual activism. hmm Because you are a spiritual activist. What does that mean to be a spiritual activist?
2: Sure. I'll speak to it in this moment. Um, I grew up in a family of activists and artists, really engaged, uh, courageous, inspired people. I was lucky to live uh, in a city like Los Angeles, but be engaged in a continual stream of service. So my mom's work was... Based in Skid Row, she was a social justice activist. She was making big change, and I got to see both the the beauty of just community of people coming together, rolling up their sleeves to serve, to create possibility where people didn't see it, but also the challenges of it: the burnout, the um, outrage, the bureaucracy, and. I knew that I wanted to be of service in the world going forth. And I recognized that, especially in my early 20s, as I set out on my own path to be of service, even in the field of change agents and those people really giving themselves to powerful Mm -hmm. causes, there was so much drama, there was so much burnout, um, there was so much not skillfully fueled outrage. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was just a lot of reactivity that didn't get directed towards um, uh, something useful. And so this really turned me on to the notion of, okay, spiritual activism. There are many beings in our history. There are many great leaders now who understand the merge of the inner and outer work at the same time of Uh knowing that it's not just what we do it's how we do it it's Uh showing up in such a way that acknowledges shared presence Uh and again let's talk about emptiness as the field from which we can then be used by spirit we can be used Uh beyond the ego being in charge (laughs) so does that make some sense
0: Yes, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. And
2: let's just note that in today's world we're in such a disrupted, challenging, scary at times, messy place. I feel that what we need are more spiritual activists and more visionary activists. And I believe we receive vision when we spend time in the dark, when we empty, when we get out of the way and go into don't know mind even if this feels scary i'm going to hang out here for long enough to receive some guidance mm. beyond the busy mind yeah
0: i love that i'm going to yeah. hang out in here until i receive some guidance wow that's like really really a scary thing to do for a lot of people especially when you are in this like uh, chronically stressed out Place, or you're dealing with a chronic illness or chronic pain, or you're just, you know, where maybe you're having just a, a migraine for a week or whatever it may be, or you're, you haven't had a single good night of sleep and God knows how long. It feels like the the worst thing that we could ever possibly do is to allow ourselves to dream a new dream by sitting in the darkness until the silence Speaks to us. I remember um, I had the opportunity of speaking with um, uh, Jetsuma Tenzin Palmo, and one of the things that she spoke to me, she says, The silence speaks to us, you know, and the the body has the silent wisdom. I think the mind has the vocal, you know, uh, loud, uh, can be wise sometimes. But the body slash heart holds this, like um, you know, this knows is the silent wisdom, and we're so afraid because it feels so big sometimes. So I love what you're offering there, and I I want to encourage everybody to, you know, it, it, and to arrive at that place where the where the darkness doesn't feel so. Challenging And to speak In your language um, My dear It's Where the darkness Becomes luminous Right It's You gotta pause You gotta just like Stop everything You're doing For a moment And just Be in a In an observation You know I often say That the spiritual path Comes down to Two qualities That we have to master Our ability To concentrate And our ability To observe You know Mm. And without, without concentration, our observations are, are poisoned by our past, by our conditioning, by our societal hallucination, by the trends that we're bought into, all the things. But when we are concentrated, we can then observe without the, without the collective hallucination, our own hallucination. And it's in that process that the darkness, for me, what I've noticed, it's that Then the silence speaks and then the demons are actually fallen angels and they actually have some delicious things to say to us, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're not going to tell us some destructive thing to say to do. They're going to give us exact antidote. They're going to just give us exact medicine that we're so afraid to hear. And one last thing I want to share about that, too, in my own uh personal experience the 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 wisdom that the silence speaks of it's so inspired that we are afraid of how inspired it is that it moves us in ways that were like, uh, uh-uh, uh, honey, I can't do that. That's way. Uh, that's above my paycheck. You know, that's above above my pay grade. It's like I can't. I. That's for. That's for. That's for Eden. That's for Sa. It's not for me. But it's like no. It's what you shared as soon as you came into the podcast, my dear. That awakened, a liberated, free aspect of ourselves is always there. Buddha Dharma Sangha, right? Like that Buddha nature is always within us. Always there and available it's just we are in this samsaric state where a symptom of samsara is forgetfulness it's this crazy amnesia that we forgot (laughs) you know would you agree to this
2: yes again back to the um invitation of remembering remembering through every moment of our lives and just want to add um you know, there's a way that, you just spoke to this beautifully, but I think it's helpful, especially for maybe newer practitioners to consider.
0: Please. Even
2: when we say, yeah, I want, I want freedom. I want more love. I want to open to this intimacy that spiritual people talk about. Even if we say that's our intention, the ego or small self is terrified of it. Because for the small self, it is like, for the ego, it is like death. Uh, and so it's important to recognize and to question and inquire, is this really my fear when it arises? Or is this ego's fear? Can I notice a tendril of courage even mm-hmm. alongside this fear? And that fear can come up. Let's say we say I'm going to go on silent retreat as you're about to. And, oh, we're so excited about it. And then we notice this contraction, this what is going to show up. In the empty space of silence or like you said when we notice silence speaking to us and guiding us to be bigger than we have ever been before even though that sounds like just what we want ego contracts right egos afraid of that bigness so to just remember that it's not it's not your fear um, it's just a contraction <laughs> that mm-hmm. as long as we keep following the tendril of courage, what I like to remind people of and something I say in the book is the light was never lost, so it can't be found. It can only be remembered. Yeah. But when
1: Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ali is here to help. Ali invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y
0: dot com. Oh my God, so beautiful. (laughs) Say that again, please.
2: The light was never lost, so it can't be found. And it can only be remembered. And I say that because I spent some time at the beginning of my practice aggressively trying to find it like the solo heroic spiritual warrior we're taught to be. And it was actually when I softened. It was actually when I said, oh, what happens when I really listen to the teaching and practice doing nothing? (laughs) That I recognized um, in that emptying out everything i was looking for was already there i didn't have to go after it i didn't have to aggressively try to find it i didn't have to aggressively battle my shadows i just had to Mm. to soften towards all of it yeah and it's a continual journey
0: yeah that's right we get better soft us at being at being softer and kinder and more gentle, more patient with ourselves, right?
2: Yes, yes. And, however, it's a a badass, a badass softness because we cultivate both sides, right? The conscious allowing aspect of practice and the conscious protection. The Manjushri sword, which cuts through delusion, is right there, but it's alongside this soft, receptive hand as well. Mm-hmm. So it's fun Sa, because of our different paths and our different language. I feel like we're covering so much territory and then also sh- sharing some of the personal juicy stuff. It's a very dynamic conversation.
0: I love yeah. it. And yeah. everyone who's listening, I have Manjushri tattooed on, on my um, upper right arm huh. right here. <laughs> and it's also what sits in my bedroom across from the bed. So thank you for speaking to that. So, um, you know, you have done a fantastic job with your with your life, with your embodiment, and you've put all this in your new book, you know, Luminous Darkness, an engaged Buddhist approach to embracing the unknown. I can't say enough about how vital this work is, how vital your work is, and just sitting having the honor and the and the and that this beautiful time we spent together to see that you live what you preach, and it's the book is beautiful when it's you know like as we're talking, as you're hearing, it really comes down to making friends with the darkness, right? Learning to embrace the unknown and really stop being afraid of 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 of, of a natural aspect of the human experience, yes. right?
2: Yes. And I just want to add, even as we look to the natural world, which, if we're honest, is our greatest teacher, nature doesn't value light over dark. Uh, All biological systems on planet Earth require both dark and light. Right now, something that we're experiencing is the over-lighting of planet Earth. 60% of planet Earth is now artificially lit at night, 90% of the U.S. and Europe, and that has huge ramifications for... Many animal plant species for the human endocrine system. Anyone else having trouble sleeping these days? Um, it's it's not a casual thing. And I will just add that our ancestors, until really recently in history, existed under the starry night skies, spent a lot of time in physical darkness, and I believe that has valuable impact. I believe that humbles us. I believe that opens us up to the wonder for all of life within and out. I believe that points us more to the mind of not knowing than trying to label and colonize all of life, which is a very popular modern human activity. And so I encourage people through your practice, through spending time under the night sky, perhaps darkness retreats, which I engage in times, um, to just be curious, to find out uh, what is the medicine of darkness? What is beyond Mm. the habit that I've been taught to judge it and push it away? It's one half of our human experience. How can we be whole without fully embracing the both? Yeah?
0: Wow. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah. my God. I feel like we could spend a whole other hour just talking about the natural world. And he makes me think about, you know, that they're like, maybe I'm wrong, but like, aren't nightshades vegetables that grow at nighttime? Isn't it under the moon sky? Like, isn't it something like that? There that are all
2: kinds of plants which grow under the night sky. There are seeds which germinate in moonlight. There are again, all kinds of nocturnal animals as well as plants. So not everything is uh, heliotropic, grows up towards the sun. Um, it's important to acknowledge Oh my that. God, you're yeah. so wise.
0: <laughs> I love it.
2: It's really fun talking to you, Sa. Really fun. Yeah.
0: My God. Thank you. Thank you so much. I
2: also recognize, I know that we've both had, as many listeners have had, and some are in the midst of right now, um, the invitation from life to, to walk directly into the dark and into what we deemed dark inside, and just to recognize the rites of passage that that is, and the way that that puts us in touch with greater resilience. And the fact that collectively we're walking through the dark right now on planet Earth in an age of uncertainty. So how to access more resilience and love through it has to do with turning towards it, not spiritual bypassing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love yeah. that so much. Thank you for yeah. for all this, my dear. Oh, my goodness. And, guys, everyone, here's our invitation to get Luminous Darkness, an engaged Buddhist approach to embracing the unknown. The link for you to buy the book is in the show notes. And remember, buy the book for yourself. Buy it for a friend. Buy it for a teacher. And, and write a review. As authors, as educators, we need reviews for people to know how the book has impacted their lives and for people— for the momentum of the success of the book to continue to grow and and as you've heard you know this is a profound prophetic incredible book that the world needs i am so grateful that i got to talk to you i feel like Ah, you just brought some clarity into me too. So thank you for your work, my darling. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, truly. Like, thank you so much. I feel
2: exactly the same. And I loved your passionate advocacy for the book at the end. I should learn from you. And um, just appreciate the uh, authentic expression of you that you bring to this so much. It's so generous, Sa. It's really good modeling for people, you showing up and being fully you.
0: Oh, thank you, yeah. my darling. Okay, yeah. so the last question before oh, we go, it's okay. what does it mean to be spiritually sassy to you?
2: Oh, love this question. What does it mean to be spiritually sassy? You know, it goes right to some of the things we've talked about. Um, letting freedom be our purpose and our embodiment. When I first came to practice, I thought it was about getting rid of and cutting off certain parts of me, including the sassy part. And the more I embraced shadow and went down into the verdant cavern of the underworld of my existence, the more sassy I became, the more passionate I became, the more vibrantly alive I became, the more I was willing to embrace Eros as a full teacher on the path. And I think part of what we're facing in today's world today is a disconnect from Eros, which is um, the source of all sassiness that Mm -hmm. is diminishing the human spirit rather than energizing
0: it. Yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. So beautiful. Thank you so much. So grateful for our time together. Much love to you and everyone listening. Love you all. Thank you. I'm Sadie Simone, and you've been listening to The Spiritually Sassy Show. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and reveal this podcast. And join me next Sunday for another spiritually sassy conversation. Thank you so much for listening, and I love you.